You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Man, Van, you guys did a great job. Let's hear it for these guys. Man, I love that we get to be led into the presence of the Lord and then we get to open up the Word of God together. I do um, have to start on a little bit of a somber note. Um, I've got some pretty heavy news. Uh, football season is coming to an end. I, I know for some of you, you couldn't care less, but for some of you, this is a big deal. All right, I just need to know, uh, there, there are two different kinds of people, the, the college football fans and then the pro football fans. If you're a college football fan, let me hear you. Okay. And then what about the pro football fans? Let me hear you. Okay. I actually remember um, growing up in New York, we didn't really have any pro teams to, or college teams to root for, and so it was really all pro sports. But uh, coming down here, uh, I didn't understand college football and what came along with college football. But my wife took me to uh, her family's team's school, the Florida Gators. That's right. Whoa, hey, careful. Um, and so, uh, it was November 11th, 2006, and she had gotten great seats, and we're sitting kind of on the 50-yard line, and we're watching this game unfold. It was the Florida Gators versus the South Carolina, uh, Mermen, yeah. And, um, and we were losing. We were down by six. Three minutes left in the game, and Coach Urban Meyer put the ball in the hands of the unknown, true freshman, Tim Tebow. And, and they put the ball in his hands, they're on the 12-yard line, and he got it, and he started running, and he juked one defender, and juked another defender, broke some tackles, and he scored a touchdown. And I tell you, 100,000 people in unison, screaming at the top of their lungs. The stadium was shaking. People were crying. Strangers were hugging. People were getting married. Babies were being born. <laughs> like, like, literally, like, the, the, everybody was going nuts. For a game. And we do this, we paint our faces and our chests and we yell and we scream because someone takes an object and they cross a line. <laughs> or they hit it with a piece of wood. 
or they dunk it in a basket. And we scream and we yell and we cry and our days and our weeks and our months are ruined because our team didn't win. Yet, we gather together in this place to celebrate the greatest victory that has ever been accomplished. The greatest victory, the greatest battle that has ever been won. God didn't merely just break a tackle or cross a line or, or, or dunk a basket. He left eternity. He left perfection. He left being worshiped day and night to come down and to be wrapped in human flesh, born as a baby, so that we could place him on a cross and murder him in order to restore relationship between him and his creation that had been severed, that had been severed by us because of our sin. And so we gather here today not to celebrate a team that went on to win the national championship in 2006, but to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we gather to sit and to talk about the greatest victory of all time. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Father, you are king. And we come here today as fallen, broken individuals who need a Savior. And you've accomplished that for us. So God, I pray that we would see your word and that it would penetrate our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and that it would transform everything we do for your name and for your glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the question this morning is, how do we live loud? How do we live a life that is loud? I mean, 100,000 people coming together in unison to cheer on a football team should not even compare to the church of God, the bride of Christ, living loud to be a beacon of hope for the hopeless, to be light in the midst of darkness, because we have the words of life for those that are experiencing death. So how do we live loud? Well, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, and last week we talked about how we are loved by God, we are chosen by God, and then we are equipped with the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. God himself equips us with his Word and his Spirit to live loud in our community everywhere we live, work, and play so that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to see, to hear, and to respond to his good news. So through the power that God gives us, through his word and through his spirit, we live loud by first living a life worth imitating. Living a life worth imitating. Where do we get that from? Well, let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's start in verse 6. Paul just said, you're equipped with the word of God and the spirit of God. And you 
talking about everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has been saved and transformed by the power of the Spirit. And you became imitators of us. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, the church, became imitators of us. Us is the Paul and Silas and Timothy who has discipled this church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, because that's who Paul looked to. For you received the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul lived a life worth imitating. And those that followed him replicated his life. But why? Why would those that follow Paul replicate what he was doing and what he believed and what he was saying. Well, a life worth imitating starts with a life founded upon the word of God. Now, let me give you some context here because he says you received the word with power and then you imitated our lives. So just some context. What is the word of God at this point of time that Paul is talking about? Because they would have had the Old Testament written down in, in, in some sort of form, it would have been in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek for some, and they would have been reading the Old Testament. And the, the word of God that they would have known was Paul walking them through all of the prophecies that were seen and found within the Old Testament and pointing them to Jesus. So at that particular time, they didn't have all of this. They had about two-thirds of it, the Old Testament. And then he was writing letters to the churches, and so was Peter, and so was John, and Luke, and Matthew. They're writing these letters so that people would know that all of the stuff found in the Old Testament was written about a person, and his name is Jesus. So at this time, this point, Jesus would have died, and he would have rose again. And you're not creating some conspiracy theory here. You don't go and tell somebody in the moment of things are happening where they could have easily proven this wrong. They saw it with their eyes. They, they experienced this, and now all of a sudden, they are hearing the words that Jesus was the true Messiah. Some of them would have seen his miracles. Some of them would have seen him hanging on the cross. And now the word is coming, and Paul is talking about how the word of God has come and has brought transformation. So a life worth imitating starts is founded upon the word. And why was it imitated? Because the word of God saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that transformed them and gave them a joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? It came not only in the word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met somebody that you know walks with Jesus? Someone whose life just oozes joy and love and peace and patience. Someone who maybe is a mentor. Uh, if you grew up in a church with Sunday school, maybe a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe it's a grandma or a grandpa. But I've been around these people where, where you just get into their presence and you're like, were you literally just sitting with Jesus, hanging out, having coffee? Because their lives just just overflow the joy of the Holy Spirit in all circumstances. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect either. 
I'm not saying that these are perfect people, because we are all people who struggle with sin and sin in our lives. And so we're all forgiven failures. But, but just to level the playing field here, like we all walk into this place with something. We all have something that we struggle with. We all have something that we deal with. We all uh, uh, speak harshly to people around us or deal with anger or jealousy or bitterness. And so, so we're not perfect people, but there are people that we see that just overflow the joy of the Spirit. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians about. He's saying your joy in Jesus is overflowing and it's attracting everybody around. And so why the, the, what is the what we're in, uh, uh, imitating? The what we're intimidating is the person of Jesus. Jesus impacted Paul. Paul had an experience with Jesus, and as he impacted Paul, that then impacted the Thessalonians. He went and he shared this good news of who Jesus was and what he has done. And then Paul impacted the Thessalonians, who impacted each other. That church grew, and then that impacted all of the cities around them. Because all of a sudden, they started living a life that was worth imitating. A life that is reading the word, knowing the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying what the Spirit says, says, and overflowing love, mercy, and grace to those around them. And notice in verse 7 this impact, that it impacts the world around them. And this type of life that is lived imitating Jesus attracts others, like a magnet does, just attracts people. And so we live loud, not only by living a life worth imitating, but we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So they are living a life worth imitating, and it's sounding forth this good news. Now, just to be clear, we are not talking about living a life that sounds forth religion, or morality, or intellect, or self-perfection. I think often when we talk about Christianity, we can see it as religion. When we talk about Christianity, we talk about morality, being a good person, doing good things. I, I meet with people all week, and as they come to find out that I'm a pastor, they start talking about, oh, you know, please be praying for my son. He's a good kid, but he's wayward, or he's not doing well. It always starts with this preface of, oh, but he's a good person. He does good things. Listen, that's, that's good, but it's about our hearts and transforming our lives in a belief of a Savior. The belief in a Savior comes first, and then the Savior transforms our hearts and our minds and our lives. But we're not proclaiming religion, do this, try harder, be better. We're proclaiming a Savior. We're proclaiming a person and a relationship with that person, an intimate, interactive relationship with the person of Jesus. And so they're sounding for salvation for all sinners through Jesus alone. I think for me, growing up in New York, I grew up in this town in high school where we didn't spend a whole lot of money on our cars. All the cars were pretty junky. We just spent a lot of money on the sound systems that we put in the cars. <laughs> and so every time you'd roll up to a stop sign, I was one of them that, I mean, we had the, the 212s in the back with, with the big sound system, and you, you were listening to the music I was listening to. We were living loud but for the wrong purpose. 
It's like that our lives are sounding forth the good news because of how we're living. Now, this is twofold, right? Sounding forth in Scripture is twofold because the gospel in this context was heard over 190 miles away because their belief transformed everything that they were doing. But it's not just in action, it's also in words. The Bible talks about both of these things. Paul is commending the Thessalonians because he's saying, you didn't even need to say anything because your life was just oozing the gospel. But we also see in Scripture that it is a command to preach the gospel, to say the gospel, to talk about the gospel. So sounding forth in Scripture is twofold, speaking and living. First, speaking. The Bible calls us to proclaim, to herald, to preach the good news. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, this isn't preaching religion. This is preaching the good news of Jesus, telling people about Jesus. Not merely inviting them to church, oh, that's a good thing, but telling them about the person of Jesus and how he has transformed your life. Speaking and living, they go hand to hand. And so then we go from speaking to living. Now, now there's a quote by Brennan Manning, and I use this often because it has impacted my heart and mind so much in my life. But Brennan Manning says this. He is a, a pastor, an author, a speaker. He lived a life as a monk for a long season. And he says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We proclaim the good news of Jesus through how he has transformed our lives, and we also live it out. How we live our lives, it projects something to the world around us. Do you know that your life is projecting something? Let's do a little bit of a self-assessment. I want you to sit for a moment. I want you to think about what the people around you would say that your life projects. The things you love, the things you spend your time on, the things you spend your money on. I mean, think about what your kids would say your life is all about. Because our life is projecting something. What would our spouse say is the most important things to us? What would our neighbors say is most important to us? Being right at the HOA meeting, right? What, what, would, what would our coworkers say is the thing that our life projects? Do you want to be known for someone who loves golf or loves money or is madly in love with their phone because it's always in their face? Like, is that what we want our lives to project? Yeah, he, he loves his job. She loves her phone. She loves her image. He loves his success. Oh, my bestie? Oh, yeah, she loves, she loves TikTok. She's always on it, She's spending all of her time just waiting for the next like. What does our life speak? 
without us even saying anything. And this is not just our public persona. Can I say that? Because our life starts in private. Who are you when nobody is looking? Confession time. If I can be transparent and vulnerable with you, I am much better at protecting my public projection than I am by protecting who I am when nobody is looking. I know that sounds maybe deep, but I know that there are some in this room, maybe all, that deal with the same thing. We are so concerned about wearing this mask and and putting on the show that we've got it all together, and then in private, we're a mess. What is our life projecting to the world around us without us even speaking? So, we live a life worth imitating, and we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news of Jesus. I mean, the Thessalonians, they allowed the good news of Jesus to permeate and transform every part of their lives. And because it permeated and transformed every part of their lives, that sounded forth the gospel to the world around them. And here's the last thing. Living loud means that we live a life that submits to God alone. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, the beauty of the gospel, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Notice here that there's a submission to God and his ways and his desires and his commands contrasted to this word that he uses here, idols. Now, we could think in context, there's, there's twofold, right? There's these physical idols, right? Football can be one of them. But there's these physical idols in, in the context of this culture, the Thessalonians, that uh, they had images that were gold and they were uh, put on mantles and people went to temples to actually worship them, to sit. I mean, think about that. Think about going to a place so you can worship a golden statue and, and sacrifice live animals to a golden statue. But that's the culture that they're coming from, that they were worshiping the gods of the sun and the gods uh, of the harvest. Um, so th- like they were praying to what they thought were these Greek gods and these gods in, in their culture. But we, we have idols in our lives too. We have things that we worship with our lives, the thing that takes our affections, our time, our talents, our resources. And here we're seeing that there's a submission to God in his ways and not these items. An idol is anything we choose to surrender to above God. I love how John Piper describes this. He defines an idol by saying, anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. Think about the things that ruin your day. Stock market's all over the map right now. You ever look at your portfolio, see how much you've lost in the day? I mean, that could just put you in a tailspin. 
make you aggravated at everybody around you, make you, you know, a, a, you know change plan. I mean, it just does so much to us when we see our finances unravel. I mean, what about our jobs? When our job's not going well, maybe we get a new manager or we get a new coworker or we get put on a project that we're not enjoying and it just ruins our lives. Maybe our own success becomes the thing that we begin to idolize and, and then when we're not climbing the corporate ladder, then it just ruins our day and our life so we stay home or we stay at work late and we work late hours and it takes away times from our kids and our wives and our health. Maybe, maybe it's our spouse that we idolize and we lift them up and the things that they want to do and say above God's calling on our lives. Maybe it's our kids, parents. This is a big one. I, I, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's so easy to idolize our kids. I mean, we love our kids. That's a good thing. But it's not good to make them your idol and the, the source of everything like, because when they fail, we crumble, and they were not meant to bear that weight. What about friendships? Youth, the friendships that we have, we begin to idolize them and long for them, and then it consumes everything we do, and then when they make a bad decision, guess what? We're making it right alongside them because they're our friends. We begin to idolize our friends. You know what my biggest idol is? Me, me, what I want, my desires, my wants, my convenience. We begin to idolize these things and, and Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians that their surrender to God, their complete and ultimate and utter surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what he says and his ways and his word and his spirit, how they have placed that above everything in their lives. That is the call to Christianity. Christianity is not a side dish. It's not something that we just kind of dabble into our lives as a seasoning to make us feel good. Christianity is following after Jesus as the ultimate King of kings and Lord of lords, meaning that what he says goes and what we desire doesn't. And the Thessalonians were living in this way, and because they lived in this way, the world around them heard it. And it spread like wildfire. Imagine, right now, in our community, at this given time, space between 9 and 12, about 4 to 6% of our population in Lee County will attend church right now. 4 to 6%. That means over 90% of the population is not going anywhere right now to a church family to hear the gospel of Jesus. Imagine if 200 plus people lived a life worth, imitated, worth imitating, surrendered fully to the good news of Jesus and you went back to your workplace and you went to your co coffee shop and you went to your school and you went to your friends and you went to your neighborhoods and you went to your coworkers and you went uh, to your, your neighborhoods and the HOA meetings all with 
the Spirit of God and the Word of God overflowing out of your life. Imagine how this community would transform if just this room surrendered their lives wholeheartedly to Jesus and to what He calls us to, to be a beacon of hope and light to the world around us. Imagine the transformation in the marriages in this room if, if the husband and the wife decided to put Jesus first and not themselves. Imagine, students, what your schools would be like if you put Jesus first and how you could see your friends come to know the way, the truth, and the life, the good news of Jesus. I mean, this is a big deal. Because death hangs in the balance. Eternity is a real thing, and hell is a real place. And if we don't know Jesus, we're going to spend eternity apart from our Creator. And I'm not willing to let that happen. And I hope you are too, for everyone that's around you, and then some. So we live a life worth imitating. We live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news. And we live a life that submits to God alone. We will do this imperfectly. We're not going to be the best of the best all the time. So I don't want you to hear these things and then get overwhelmed and be like, I don't know if I can. I want you to know that God equips us with his word and his spirit to do these things. You don't have to know all the answers. It's okay when you start talking to someone about your own testimony and you start talking about how Jesus transformed your life for them to say, hey, what about this? It's okay for you to say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know. Listen, that's okay. You can say that. You don't have to know all the answers. But what you want to share is that Jesus has transformed your life and he is transforming your life. And so when they poke at the, yeah, well, I saw you do this last week, though. Yeah, I'm a forgiven failure, too. We need a Savior. And so what is our response? Our response is to live loud by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And this is not a catchphrase. Loving God overflows and impacts everyone around us. I was doing a little research on cells this week, and... What we know about cells is that healthy cells reproduce. Healthy cells in our bodies reproduce. That's how we grow. That's how we live. Healthy cells reproduce. But you want to know something else? Unhealthy cells also reproduce. And let me say this. That's called something. When unhealthy cells are supposed to die. Do you know that? Unhealthy cells in your body are supposed to die. When they don't die, we've given it a name. It's called cancer. When unhealthy cells begin to reproduce, it's called cancer. And we have to rid ourselves of that cancer. When we look at this, if we don't rid ourselves of the idols in our lives, we will reproduce that cancer in the people around us. Because they will look at our lives and they will begin to replicate the things that we are most passionate about. So the question this morning is, will you Live loud for Jesus and his good news alone. Will you love God and love others and make disciples as God has called you to do? Because your life is going to impact everyone around you. It will. Whether you believe it or not, your life will impact everyone around you. I know that there are some here today that are feeling really lonely. I know that there are some here today that don't feel seen and don't feel known, but there are people around you that do care about you, and a lot of them are sitting in this room. 
We want to know you. We want you to be known and be seen. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have ministries and Bible studies and women's gatherings so that you can be known and seen and loved and pointed to Jesus and grow in your faith. But if you're sitting here today and you feel lonely, I want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he wants an intimate, interactive relationship with you. Don't leave here today without talking to somebody about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. He knows you, he loves you, he sees you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I want you to know that your life is going to impact those around you. Are you reproducing something that's worth living for? Will it be the glorious good news of Jesus or the cancer of your idols? But we all make a choice every day to live out the gospel or live for ourselves. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to live loud for Jesus or something else? Let's pray. Father, at this time, I want to give us some space to sit with you and let your spirit do the work that you need to do. God, without your spirit, our lives cannot be transformed. Without your word, we cannot be transformed. Without the good news of Jesus, we cannot be transformed from death to life. And so, Lord, I do pray that right now we would sit and you would bring to mind the things in our lives that we put over you, the things that are idols in our lives, the things that when people look at us would say are most important to us. And I pray that we would lay those things at your feet, that we would hand them over to you, and that we would fully surrender to you being the number one priority in our lives, to you being our God and our King and our Lord, that we wouldn't just keep you at an arm's distance, Lord, but we would fully embrace you as our Father. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you do what you can do to give us life and hope and allow our lives to live loud for your good news. It's in your name we pray. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Man, Van, you guys did a great job. Let's hear it for these guys. Man, I love that we get to be led into the presence of the Lord and then we get to open up the Word of God together. I do um, have to start on a little bit of a somber note. Um, I've got some pretty heavy news. Uh, football season is coming to an end. I, I know for some of you, you couldn't care less, but for some of you, 
This is a big deal. All right, I just need to know, uh, there, there are two different kinds of people, the, the college football fans and then the pro football fans. If you're a college football fan, let me hear you. Okay. And then what about the pro football fans? Let me hear you. Okay. I actually remember um, growing up in New York, we didn't really have any pro teams to, or college teams to root for, and so it was really all pro sports. But uh, coming down here, uh, I didn't understand college football and what came along with college football. But my wife took me to uh, her family's team's school, the Florida Gators. That's right. Whoa, hey, careful. Um, and so uh, it was November 11th, 2006, and she had gotten great seats, and we're sitting kind of on the 50-yard line, and we're watching this game unfold. It was the Florida Gators versus the South Carolina uh, Mermen, yeah. And, um, and we were losing. We were down by six. Three minutes left in the game, and Coach Urban Meyer put the ball in the hands of the unknown, true freshman, Tim Tebow. And, and they put the ball in his hands, they're on the 12-yard line, and he got it, and he started running, and he juked one defender, and juked another defender, broke some tackles, and he scored a touchdown. And I tell you, 100,000 people in unison screaming at the top of their lungs. The stadium was shaking. People were crying. Strangers were hugging. People were getting married. Babies were being born. <laughs> like, like, literally, like, the, the, everybody was going nuts for a game. And we do this, we paint our faces and our chests and we yell and we scream because someone takes an object and they cross a line. <laughs> or they hit it with a piece of wood. Or they dunk it in a basket. And we scream and we yell and we cry. And our days and our weeks and our months are ruined because our team didn't win. Yet, we gather together in this place to celebrate the greatest victory that has ever been accomplished. The greatest victory, the greatest battle that has ever been won. God didn't merely just break a tackle or cross a line or, or, or dunk a basket. He left eternity. He left perfection. He left being worshiped day and night to come down and to be wrapped in human flesh, born as a baby, so that we could place him on a cross and murder him in order to restore relationship between him and his creation that had been severed, that had been severed by us because of our sin. And so we gather here today not to celebrate a team that went on to win the national championship in 2006, 
but to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we gather to sit and to talk about the greatest victory of all time. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Father, you are king. And we come here today as fallen, broken individuals who need a Savior. And you've accomplished that for us. So God, I pray that we would see your word and that it would penetrate our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and then it would transform everything we do for your name and for your glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the question this morning is, how do we live loud? How do we live a life that is loud? I mean, 100,000 people coming together in unison to cheer on a football team should not even compare to the church of God, the bride of Christ, living loud to be a beacon of hope for the hopeless, to be light in the midst of darkness, because we have the words of life for those that are experiencing death. So how do we live loud? Well, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, and last week we talked about how we are loved by God, we are chosen by God, and then we are equipped with the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. God himself equips us with his Word and his Spirit to live loud in our community everywhere we live, work, and play so that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to see, to hear, and to respond to his good news. So through the power that God gives us, through his word and through his spirit, we live loud by first living a life worth imitating. Living a life worth imitating. Where do we get that from? Well, let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians 1, let's start in verse 6. Paul just said, you're equipped with the word of God and the spirit of God, and you talking about everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has been saved and transformed by the power of the Spirit. And you became imitators of us. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, the church, became imitators of us. Us is the Paul and Silas and Timothy who has discipled this church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, because that's who Paul looked to. For you received the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul lived a life worth imitating, and those that followed him replicated his life. But why? Why would those that follow Paul replicate what he was doing and what he believed and what he was saying? Well, a life worth imitating starts with a life founded upon the Word of God. Now, let me give you some context here, because he says, you receive the Word with power, and then you imitated our lives. So, so just some context. What is the Word of God at this point of time that Paul is talking about? Because they would have had the Old Testament written down in, in, in some sort of form 
It would have been in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek for some, and they would have been reading the Old Testament. And the the word of God that they would have known was Paul walking them through all of the prophecies that were seen and found within the Old Testament and pointing them to Jesus. So at that particular time, they didn't have all of this. They had about two-thirds of it, the Old Testament. And then he was writing letters to the churches, and so was Peter, and so was John, and Luke, and Matthew, They're writing these letters so that people would know that all of the stuff found in the Old Testament was written about a person, and his name is Jesus. So at this time, this point, Jesus would have died, and he would have rose again. And you're not creating some conspiracy theory here. You don't go and tell somebody in the moment of things are happening where they could have easily proven this wrong. They saw it with their eyes. They, they experienced this, and now all of a sudden, they are hearing the words that Jesus was the true Messiah. Some of them would have seen his miracles. Some of them would have seen him hanging on the cross. And now the word is coming, and Paul is talking about how the word of God has come and has brought transformation. So a life worth imitating starts is founded upon the word. And why was it imitated? Because the word of God saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that transformed them and gave them a joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? It came not only in the word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met somebody that you know walks with Jesus? Someone whose life just oozes joy and love and peace and patience? Someone who maybe is a mentor, uh, if you grew up in a church with Sunday school, maybe a Sunday school teacher, uh, maybe it's a grandma or a grandpa, but I've been around these people where, where you just get into their presence and you're like, were you literally just sitting with Jesus, hanging out, having coffee? Because their lives just, just overflow the joy of the Holy Spirit in all circumstances. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect either. I'm not saying that these are perfect people, because we are all people who struggle with sin and sin in our lives. And so we're all forgiven failures, but, but just to level the playing field here, like we all walk into this place with something. We all have something that we struggle with. We all have something that we deal with. We all uh, uh, speak harshly to people around us or deal with anger or jealousy or bitterness. And so, so we're not perfect people, but there are people that we see that just overflow the joy of the Spirit. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians about. He's saying your joy in Jesus is overflowing and it's attracting everybody around. And so why the, the, what is the what we're in, uh, uh, imitating? The what we're intimidating is the person of Jesus. Jesus impacted Paul. Paul had an experience with Jesus, and as he impacted Paul, that then impacted the Thessalonians. He went and he shared this good news of who Jesus was and what he has done. And then Paul impacted the Thessalonians, who impacted each other. That church grew, and then that impacted all of the cities around them. Because all of a sudden, they started living a life that was worth imitating. A life that is reading the word, knowing the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying what the Spirit says, says, and overflowing love, mercy, and grace to those around them. And notice in verse 7 this impact, that it impacts the world around them. And this type of life 
that is lived imitating Jesus attracts others, like a magnet does, just attracts people. And so we live loud, not only by living a life worth imitating, but we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So they are living a life worth imitating, and it's sounding forth this good news. Now, just to be clear, we are not talking about living a life that sounds forth religion, or morality, or intellect, or self-perfection. I think often when we talk about Christianity, we can see it as religion. When we talk about Christianity, we talk about morality, being a good person, doing good things. I, I meet with people all week, and as they come to find out that I'm a pastor, they start talking about, oh, you know, please be praying for my son. He's a good kid, but he's wayward, or he's not doing well. It always starts with this preface of, oh, but he's a good person. He does good things. Listen, that's, that's good, but it's about our hearts and transforming our lives in a belief of a Savior. The belief in a Savior comes first, and then the Savior transforms our hearts and our minds and our lives. But we're not proclaiming religion, do this, try harder, be better. We're proclaiming a Savior. We're proclaiming a person and a relationship with that person, an intimate, interactive relationship with the person of Jesus. And so they're sounding for salvation for all sinners through Jesus alone. I think for me, growing up in New York, I grew up in this town in high school where we didn't spend a whole lot of money on our cars. All the cars were pretty junky. We just spent a lot of money on the sound systems that we put in the cars. <laughs> and so every time you'd roll up to a stop sign, I was one of them that, I mean, we had the, the 212s in the back with, with the big sound system, and you, you were listening to the music I was listening to. We were living loud but for the wrong purpose. It's like that our lives are sounding forth the good news because of how we're living. Now this is twofold, right? Sounding forth in scripture is twofold because the gospel in this context was heard over 190 miles away because their belief transformed everything that they were doing. But it's not just in action, it's also in words. The Bible talks about both of these things. Paul is commending the Thessalonians because he's saying, you didn't even need to say anything because your life was just oozing the gospel. But we also see in Scripture that it is a command to preach the gospel, to say the gospel, to talk about the gospel. So sounding forth in Scripture is twofold, speaking and living. First, speaking. The Bible calls us to proclaim, to herald, to preach the good news. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, this isn't preaching religion. This is preaching the good news of Jesus, telling people about Jesus. Not merely inviting them to church, oh, that's a good thing, but telling them about the person of Jesus and how he has transformed your life. Speaking and living, they go hand to hand. And so then we go from speaking to living. Now, now there's a quote by Brennan Manning, and I use this often because it has impacted my heart and mind so much in my life. 
But Brenning Manning says this. He is a, a pastor, an author, a speaker. He lived a life as a monk for a long season. And he says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We proclaim the good news of Jesus through how he has transformed our lives and we also live it out. How we live our lives, it projects something to the world around us. Do you know that your life is projecting something? Let's do a little bit of a self-assessment. I want you to sit for a moment. I want you to think about what the people around you would say that your life projects. The things you love, the things you spend your time on, the things you spend your money on. I mean, think about what your kids would say your life is all about. Because our life is projecting something. What would our spouse say is the most important things to us? What would our neighbors say is most important to us? Being right at the HOA meeting, right? What, what, would, what would our coworkers say is the thing that our life projects? Do you want to be known for someone who loves golf or loves money? or is madly in love with their phone because it's always in their face? Like, is that what we want our lives to project? Yeah, he, he loves his job. She loves her phone. She loves her image. He loves his success. Oh, my bestie? Oh, yeah, she loves, she loves TikTok. She's always on it. She's spending all of her time just waiting for the next like. What does our life speak without us even saying anything? And this is not just our public persona. Can I say that? Because our life starts in private. Who are you when nobody is looking? Confession time. If I can be transparent and vulnerable with you, I am much better at protecting my public projection than I am by protecting who I am when nobody is looking. I know that sounds maybe deep, but I know that there are some in this room, maybe all, that deal with the same thing. We are so concerned about wearing this mask and, and putting on the show that we've got it all together, and then in private we're a mess. What is our life projecting to the world around us without us even speaking? So, we live a life worth imitating, and we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news of Jesus. I mean, the Thessalonians, they allowed the good news of Jesus to permeate and transform every part of their lives. And because it permeated and transformed every part of their lives, that sounded forth the gospel to the world around them. And here's the last thing. 
Living loud means that we live a life that submits to God alone. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, the beauty of the gospel, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Notice here that there's a submission to God and his ways and his desires and his commands contrasted to this word that he uses here, idols. Now, we could think in context, there's, there's twofold, right? There's these physical idols, right? Football can be one of them. But there's these physical idols in, in the context of this culture, the Thessalonians, that uh, they had images that were gold and they were uh, put on mantles and people went to temples to actually worship them, to sit. I mean, think about that. Think about going to a place so you can worship a golden statue and, and sacrifice live animals to a golden statue. But that's the culture that they're coming from. That They were worshiping the gods of the sun and the gods uh, of the harvest. Um, so th- like they were praying to what they thought were these Greek gods and these gods in, in their culture. But we, we have idols in our lives too. We have things that we worship with our lives, the thing that takes our affections, our time, our talents, our resources. And here we're seeing that there's a submission to God in his ways and not these items. An idol is anything we choose to surrender to above God. I love how John Piper describes this. He defines an idol by saying, anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. Think about the things that ruin your day. Stock market's all over the map right now. You ever look at your portfolio, see how much you've lost in the day? I mean, that could just put you in a tailspin, make you aggravated at everybody around you, make you, you know, a, a, you know, change plan. I mean, it just does so much to us when we see our finances unravel. I mean, what about our jobs? When our job's not going well, maybe we get a new manager or we get a new coworker or we get put on a project that we're not enjoying and it just ruins our lives. Maybe our own success becomes the thing that we begin to idolize and and then when we're not climbing the corporate ladder then it just ruins our day and our life so we stay home or we stay at work late and we work late hours and it takes away times from our kids and our wives and our health maybe maybe it's our spouse that we idolize and we lift them up and the things that they want to do and say above God's calling on our lives maybe it's our kids parents this is a big one I, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's so easy to idolize our kids. I mean, we love our kids. That's a good thing. But it's not good to make them your idol and the, the source of everything. Like, because when they fail, we crumble, and they were not meant to bear that weight. What about friendships? Youth? The friendships that we have, we begin to idolize them and long for them, and then it consumes everything we do, and then when they make a bad decision, guess what? We're making it right alongside them because 
they're our friends. We begin to idolize our friends. You know what my biggest idol is? Me. Me. What I want, my desires, my wants, my convenience. We begin to idolize these things. And, and Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians that their surrender to God their complete and ultimate and utter surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and what he says and his ways and his word and his spirit, how they have placed that above everything in their lives. That is the call to Christianity. Christianity is not a side dish. It's not something that we just kind of dabble into our lives as a seasoning to make us feel good. Christianity is following after Jesus as the ultimate King of kings and Lord of lords, meaning that what he says goes and what we desire doesn't. And the Thessalonians were living in this way, and because they lived in this way, the world around them heard it. And it spread like wildfire. Imagine, right now, in our community, at this given time, space between 9 and 12, about 4 to 6% of our population in Lee County will attend church right now. 4 to 6%. That means over 90% of the population is not going anywhere right now to a church family to hear the gospel of Jesus. Imagine if 200 plus people lived a life worth worth imitating, surrendered fully to the good news of Jesus and you went back to your workplace and you went to your coffee shop and you went to your school and you went to your friends and you went to your neighborhoods and you went to your coworkers and you went uh, to your, your neighborhoods and the HOA meetings all with the Spirit of God and the Word of God overflowing out of your life. Imagine how this community would transform if just this room surrendered their lives wholeheartedly to Jesus and to what He calls us to, to be a beacon of hope and light to the world around us. Imagine the transformation in the marriages in this room if if the husband and the wife decided to put Jesus first and not themselves. Imagine, students, what your schools would be like if you put Jesus first and how you could see your friends come to know the way, the truth, and the life, the good news of Jesus. And this is a big deal because death hangs in the balance. Eternity is a real thing and hell is a real place. And if we don't know Jesus, we're gonna spend eternity apart from our creator. And I'm not willing to let that happen. And I hope you are too, for everyone that's around you, and then some. So we live a life worth imitating, we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news, and we live a life that submits to God alone. We will do this imperfectly. We're not going to be the best of the best all the time. So I don't want you to hear these things and then get overwhelmed and be like, I don't know if I can. I want you to know that God equips us with his word and his spirit to do these things. You don't have to know all the answers. It's okay when you start talking to someone about your own testimony and you start talking about how Jesus transformed your life for them to say, hey, what about this? It's okay for you to say, 
hey, that's a great question. I don't know. Listen, that's okay. You can say that. You don't have to know all the answers. But what you want to share is that Jesus has transformed your life. And he is transforming your life. And so when they poke at the, yeah, well, I saw you do this last week, though. Yeah, I'm a forgiven failure, too. We need a Savior. And so what is our response? Our response is to live loud by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And this is not a catchphrase. Loving God overflows and impacts everyone around us. I was doing a little research on cells this week, and what we know about cells is that healthy cells reproduce. Healthy cells in our bodies reproduce. That's how we grow. That's how we live. Healthy cells reproduce. But you want to know something else? Unhealthy cells also reproduce. And let me say this. That's called something. When unhealthy cells are supposed to die. Do you know that? Unhealthy cells in your body are supposed to die. When they don't die, we've given it a name. It's called cancer. When unhealthy cells begin to reproduce, it's called cancer. And we have to rid ourselves of that cancer. When we look at this, if we don't rid ourselves of the idols in our lives, we will reproduce that cancer in the people around us. Because they will look at our lives and they will begin to replicate the things that we are most passionate about. So the question this morning is, will you live loud for Jesus and his good news alone? Will you love God and love others and make disciples as God has called you to do? Because your life is going to impact everyone around you. It will. Whether you believe it or not, your life will impact everyone around you. I know that there are some here today that are feeling really lonely. I know that there are some here today that don't feel seen and don't feel known. But there are people around you that do care about you. And a lot of them are sitting in this room. We want to know you. We want you to be known and be seen. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have ministries and Bible studies and women's gatherings so that you can be known and seen and loved and pointed to Jesus and grow in your faith. But if you're sitting here today and you feel lonely, I want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he wants an intimate, interactive relationship with you. Don't leave here today without talking to somebody about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. He knows you, he loves you, he sees you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I want you to know that your life is going to impact those around you. Are you reproducing something that's worth living for? Will it be the glorious good news of Jesus or the cancer of your idols? But we all make a choice every day to live out the gospel or live for ourselves. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to live loud for Jesus or something else? Let's pray. Father, at this time, I want to give us some space to sit with you and let your spirit do the work that you need to do. God, without your spirit, our lives cannot be transformed. Without your word, we cannot be transformed. Without the good news of Jesus, we cannot be transformed from death to life. And so, Lord, I do pray that right now we would sit 
and you would bring to mind the things in our lives that we put over you, the things that are idols in our lives, the things that when people look at us would say are most important to us. And I pray that we would lay those things at your feet, that we would hand them over to you, and that we would fully surrender to you being the number one priority in our lives, to you being our God and our King and our Lord, that we wouldn't just keep you at an arm's distance, Lord, but we would fully embrace you as our Father. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you do what you can do to give us life and hope and allow our lives to live loud for your good news. It's in your name we pray. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Man, Ben, you guys did a great job. Let's hear it for these guys. Man, I love that we get to be led into the presence of the Lord and then we get to open up the Word of God together. I do um, have to start on a little bit of a somber note. Um, I've got some pretty heavy news. Uh, football season is coming to an end. I, I know for some of you, you couldn't care less, but for some of you, this is a big deal. <laughs> All right, I just need to know, uh, there, there are two different kinds of people, the, the college football fans and then the pro football fans. If you're a college football fan, let me hear you. Okay. And then what about the pro football fans? Let me hear you. Okay. I actually remember um, growing up in New York, we didn't really have any pro teams to, or college teams to root for, and so it was really all pro sports. But uh, coming down here, uh, I didn't understand college football and what came along with college football. But my wife took me to uh, her family's team's school, the Florida Gators. That's right. Whoa, hey, careful. Um, and so, uh, it was November 11th, 2006, and she had gotten great seats, and we're sitting kind of on the 50-yard line, and we're watching this game unfold. It was the Florida Gators versus the South Carolina uh, Mermen, yeah. And, um, and we were losing. We were down by six. Three minutes left in the game, and Coach Urban Meyer put the ball in the hands of the unknown, true freshman, Tim Tebow. 
And, and they put the ball in his hands. They were on the 12-yard line, and he got it, and he started running, and he juked one defender and juked another defender, broke some tackles, and he scored a touchdown. And I tell you, 100,000 people in unison screaming at the top of their lungs. The stadium was shaking. People were crying. Strangers were hugging. People were getting married. Babies were being born. <laughs> like, like literally, like the, the, everybody was going nuts for a game. And we do this, we paint our faces and our chests and we yell and we scream because someone takes an object and they cross a line. <laughs> or they hit it with a piece of wood. Or they dunk it in a basket. And we scream and we yell and we cry. And our days and our weeks and our months are ruined because our team didn't win. Yet, we gather together in this place to celebrate the greatest victory that has ever been accomplished. The greatest victory, the greatest battle that has ever been won. God didn't merely just break a tackle or cross a line or, or, or dunk a basket. He left eternity. He left perfection. He left being worshiped day and night to come down and to be wrapped in human flesh, born as a baby, so that we could place him on a cross and murder him in order to restore relationship between him and his creation that had been severed, that had been severed by us because of our sin. And so we gather here today not to celebrate a team that went on to win the national championship in 2006, but to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we gather to sit and to talk about the greatest victory of all time. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Father, you are king. And we come here today as fallen, broken individuals who need a Savior. And you've accomplished that for us. So God, I pray that we would see your word, and that it would penetrate our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, and then it would transform everything we do for your name and for your glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the question this morning is, how do we live loud? How do we live a life that is loud? I mean, 100,000 people coming together in unison to cheer on a football team should not even compare to the church of God, the bride of Christ, living loud to be a beacon of hope for the hopeless, to be light in the midst of darkness, because we have the words of life for those that are experiencing death. 
So how do we live loud? Well, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, and last week we talked about how we are loved by God, we are chosen by God, and then we are equipped with the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. God Himself equips us with His Word and His Spirit to live loud in our community everywhere we live, work, and play so that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to see, to hear, and to respond to His good news. So through the power that God gives us, through His Word and through His Spirit, we live loud by first living a life worth imitating. Living a life worth imitating. Where do we get that from? Well, let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's start in verse 6. Paul just said, you're equipped with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you, talking about everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has been saved and transformed by the power of the Spirit. And you became imitators of us. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, the church, became imitators of us. Us is the Paul and Silas and Timothy who has discipled this church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, because that's who Paul looked to. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul lived a life worth imitating, and those that followed him replicated his life. But why? Why would those that follow Paul replicate what he was doing and what he believed and what he was saying? Well, a life worth imitating starts with a life founded upon the Word of God. Now, let me give you some context here, because he says, you receive the Word with power, and then you imitated our lives. So, so just some context. What is the Word of God at this point of time that Paul is talking about? Because they would have had the Old Testament written down in, in, in some sort of form. It would have been in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek for some, and they would have been reading the Old Testament. And the, the word of God that they would have known was Paul walking them through all of the prophecies that were seen and found within the Old Testament and pointing them to Jesus. So at that particular time, they didn't have all of this. They had about two-thirds of it, the Old Testament. And then he was writing letters to the churches, and so was Peter, and so was John, and Luke, and Matthew, They're writing these letters so that people would know that all of the stuff found in the Old Testament was written about a person, and his name is Jesus. So at this time, this point, Jesus would have died, and he would have rose again. And you're not creating some conspiracy theory here. You don't go and tell somebody in the moment of things are happening where they could have easily proven this wrong. They saw it with their eyes. They, they experienced this, and now all of a sudden, they are hearing the words that Jesus was the true Messiah. Some of them would have seen his miracles. Some of them would have seen him hanging on the cross. And now the word is coming, and Paul is talking about how the word of God has come and has brought transformation. So a life worth imitating starts is founded upon the word. And why was it imitated? Because the word of God saying that Jesus Christ 
is the way, the truth, and the life. That transformed them and gave them a joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? It came not only in the Word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met somebody that you know walks with Jesus? Someone whose life just oozes joy and love and peace and patience. Someone who maybe is a mentor. Uh, if you grew up in a church with Sunday school, maybe a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe it's a grandma or a grandpa. But I've been around these people where, where you just get into their presence and you're like, were you literally just sitting with Jesus, hanging out, having coffee? Because their lives just, just overflow the joy of the Holy Spirit in all circumstances. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect either. I'm not saying that these are perfect people because we are all people who struggle with sin and sin in our lives. And so we're all forgiven failures. But, but just to level the playing field here, like we all walk into this place with something. We all have something that we struggle with. We all have something that we deal with. We all uh, uh, speak harshly to people around us or deal with anger or jealousy or bitterness. And so, so we're not perfect people, but there are people that we see that just overflow the joy of the Spirit. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians about. He's saying your joy in Jesus is overflowing and it's attracting everybody around. And so why the, the, what is the what we're in, uh, uh, imitating? The what we're intimidating is the person of Jesus. Jesus impacted Paul. Paul had an experience with Jesus, and as he impacted Paul, that then impacted the Thessalonians. He went and he shared this good news of who Jesus was and what he has done. And then Paul impacted the Thessalonians, who impacted each other. That church grew, and then that impacted all of the cities around them. Because all of a sudden, they started living a life that was worth imitating. A life that is reading the Word, knowing the Word, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying what the Spirit says, says, and overflowing love, mercy, and grace to those around them. And notice in verse 7 this impact, that it impacts the world around them. And this type of life that is lived imitating Jesus attracts others, like a magnet does, just attracts people. And so we live loud, not only by living a life worth imitating, but we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So they are living a life worth imitating, and it's sounding forth this good news. Now, just to be clear, we are not talking about living a life that sounds forth religion, or morality, or intellect, or self-perfection. I think often when we talk about Christianity, we can see it as religion. When we talk about Christianity, we talk about morality, being a good person, doing good things. I, I meet with people all week, and as they come to find out that I'm a pastor, they start talking about, oh, you know, please be praying for my son. He's a good kid, but he's wayward, or he's not doing well. It always starts with this preface of, oh, but he's a good person. He does good things. Listen, that's, that's good, but it's about our hearts and transforming our lives in a belief of a Savior. The belief in a Savior comes first, and then the Savior transforms our hearts and our minds and our lives. 
But we're not proclaiming religion, do this, try harder, be better. We're proclaiming a savior. We're proclaiming a person and a relationship with that person, an intimate, interactive relationship with the person of Jesus. And so they're sounding for salvation for all sinners through Jesus alone. I think for me, growing up in New York, I grew up in this town in high school where we didn't spend a whole lot of money on our cars. All the cars were pretty junky. We just spent a lot of money on the sound systems that we put in the cars. And so every time you'd roll up to a stop sign, I was one of them that, I mean, we had the, the 212s in the back with, with the big sound system, and you, you were listening to the music I was listening to. We were living loud, but for the wrong purpose. It's like that our lives are sounding forth the good news because of how we're living. Now, this is twofold, right? Sounding forth in Scripture is twofold. Because the gospel in this context was heard over 190 miles away because their belief transformed everything that they were doing. But it's not just in action, it's also in words. The Bible talks about both of these things. Paul is commending the Thessalonians because he's saying, you didn't even need to say anything because your life was just oozing the gospel. But we also see in scripture that it is a command to preach the gospel, to say the gospel, to talk about the gospel. So sounding forth in Scripture is twofold, speaking and living. First, speaking. The Bible calls us to proclaim, to herald, to preach the good news. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, this isn't preaching religion, this is preaching the good news of Jesus, telling people about Jesus. Not merely inviting them to church, oh, that's a good thing, but telling them about the person of Jesus and how he has transformed your life. Speaking and living, they go hand to hand. And so then we go from speaking to living. Now, now there's a quote by Brennan Manning, and I use this often because it has impacted my heart and mind so much in my life. But Brennan Manning says this, he is a, a pastor, an author, a speaker. He lived a life as a monk for a long season. And he says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We proclaim the good news of Jesus through how he has transformed our lives, and we also live it out. How we live our lives, it projects something to the world around us. Do you know that your life is projecting something? Let's do a little bit of a self-assessment. I want you to sit for a moment I want you to think about what the people around you would say that your life projects. The things you love, the things you spend your time on, the things you spend your money on. I mean, think about what your kids would say your life is all about. Because our life is projecting something. What would our spouse say is the most important things to us? What would our neighbors say is most important to us? 
being right at the HOA meeting, right? What, what, would, what would our coworkers say is the thing that our life projects? Do you want to be known for someone who loves golf or loves money or is madly in love with their phone because it's always in their face? Like, is that what we want our lives to project? Yeah, he, he loves his job. She loves her phone. She loves her image. He loves his success. Oh, my bestie. Oh, yeah, she loves, she loves TikTok. She's always on it. She's spending all of her time just waiting for the next like. What does our life speak without us even saying anything? And this is not just our public persona. Can I say that? Because our life starts in private. Who are you when nobody is looking? Confession time. If I can be transparent and vulnerable with you, I am much better at protecting my public projection than I am by protecting who I am when nobody is looking. I know that sounds maybe deep, but I know that there are some in this room, maybe all, that deal with the same thing. We are so concerned about wearing this mask and, and putting on the show that we've got it all together, and then in private, we're a mess. What is our life projecting to the world around us without us even speaking? So, we live a life worth imitating, and we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news of Jesus. I mean, the Thessalonians, they allowed the good news of Jesus to permeate and transform every part of their lives. And because it permeated and transformed every part of their lives, that sounded forth the gospel to the world around them. And here's the last thing. Living loud means that we live a life that submits to God alone. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, the beauty of the gospel, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Notice here that there's a submission to God and his ways and his desires and his commands contrasted to this word that he uses here, idols. Now, we could think in context, there's, there's twofold, right? There's these physical idols, right? Football can be one of them. But there's these physical idols in, in the context of this culture, the Thessalonians, that uh, they had images that were gold and they were uh, put on mantles and people went to temples to actually worship them, to sit. I mean, think about that. Think about going to a place so you can worship a golden statue. And, and sacrifice live animals to a golden statue. But that's the culture that they're coming from, that they were worshiping the gods of the sun and the gods uh, of the harvest. Um, so th like they were praying to what they thought were these Greek gods and these gods in, in their culture. But we, we have idols in our lives too. 
We have things that we worship with our lives, the thing that takes our affections, our time, our talents, our resources. And here we're seeing that there's a submission to God in his ways and not these items. An idol is anything we choose to surrender to above God. I love how John Piper describes this. He defines an idol by saying, anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. Think about the things that ruin your day. Stock market's all over the map right now. You ever look at your portfolio? See how much you've lost in the day? I mean, that could just put you in a tailspin. Make you aggravated at everybody around you. Make you, you know, a, a, you know change plan. I mean, it just does so much to us when we see our finances unravel. I mean, what about our jobs? When our job's not going well, maybe we get a new manager or we get a new coworker or we get put on a project that we're not enjoying and it just ruins our lives. Maybe our own success becomes the thing that we begin to idolize and, and then when we're not climbing the corporate ladder, then it just ruins our day and our life so we stay home or we stay at work late and we work late hours and it takes away times from our kids and our wives and our health. Maybe, maybe it's our spouse that we idolize and we lift them up and the things that they want to do and say above God's calling on our lives. Maybe it's our kids, parents. This is a big one. I, I, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's so easy to idolize our kids. I mean, we love our kids. That's a good thing. But it's not good to make them your idol and the, the source of everything like, because when they fail, we crumble, and they were not meant to bear that weight. What about friendships? Youth, the friendships that we have, we begin to idolize them and long for them, and then it consumes everything we do, and then when they make a bad decision, guess what? We're making it right alongside them because they're our friends. We begin to idolize our friends. You know what my biggest idol is? Me, me, what I want, my desires, my wants, my convenience. We begin to idolize these things and, and Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians that their surrender to God, their complete and ultimate and utter surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what he says and his ways and his word and his spirit, how they have placed that above everything in their lives. That is the call to Christianity. Christianity is not a side dish. It's not something that we just kind of dabble into our lives as a seasoning to make us feel good. Christianity is following after Jesus as the ultimate King of kings and Lord of lords, meaning that what he says goes and what we desire doesn't. And the Thessalonians were living in this way, and because they lived in this way, the world around them heard it. And it spread like wildfire. Imagine, right now, in our community, 
at this given time, space between 9 and 12, about 4 to 6% of our population in Lee County will attend church right now. 4 to 6%. That means over 90% of the population is not going anywhere right now to a church family to hear the gospel of Jesus. Imagine if 200 plus people lived a life worth worth imitating, surrendered fully to the good news of Jesus and you went back to your workplace and you went to your coffee shop and you went to your school and you went to your friends and you went to your neighborhoods and you went to your coworkers and you went uh, to your, your neighborhoods and the HOA meetings all with the spirit of God and the word of God overflowing out of your life. Imagine how this community would transform if just this room surrendered their lives wholeheartedly to Jesus and to what he calls us to to be a beacon of hope and light to the world around us. Imagine the transformation in the marriages in this room if if the husband and the wife decided to put Jesus first and not themselves. Imagine, students, what your schools would be like if you put Jesus first and how you could see your friends come to know the way, the truth, and the life, the good news of Jesus. This is a big deal. Because death hangs in the balance. Eternity is a real thing and hell is a real place. And if we don't know Jesus, we're gonna spend eternity apart from our creator. And I'm not willing to let that happen. And I hope you are too, for everyone that's around you and then some. So we live a life worth imitating, we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news, and we live a life that submits to God alone. We will do this imperfectly, We're not going to be the best of the best all the time. So I don't want you to hear these things and then get overwhelmed and be like, I don't know if I can. I want you to know that God equips us with his word and his spirit to do these things. You don't have to know all the answers. It's okay when you start talking to someone about your own testimony and you start talking about how Jesus transformed your life for them to say, hey, what about this? It's okay for you to say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know. Listen, that's okay. You can say that. You don't have to know all the answers. But what you want to share is that Jesus has transformed your life. And he is transforming your life. And so when they poke at the, yeah, well, I saw you do this last week, though. Yeah, I'm a forgiven failure, too. We need a savior. And so what is our response? Our response is to live loud by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And this is not a catchphrase. Loving God overflows and impacts everyone around us. I was doing a little research on cells this week. And what we know about cells is that healthy cells reproduce. Healthy cells in our bodies reproduce. That's how we grow. That's how we live. Healthy cells reproduce. But you want to know something else? Unhealthy cells also reproduce. And let me say this. That's called something. When unhealthy cells are supposed to die. Do you know that? Unhealthy cells in your body are supposed to die. When they don't die, we've given it a name. It's called cancer. When unhealthy cells begin to reproduce, it's called cancer. And we have to rid ourselves of that cancer. When we look at this, 
if we don't rid ourselves of the idols in our lives, we will reproduce that cancer in the people around us. Because they will look at our lives and they will begin to replicate the things that we are most passionate about. So the question this morning is, will you live loud for Jesus and his good news alone? Will you love God and love others and make disciples as God has called you to do? Because your life is going to impact everyone around you. It will. Whether you believe it or not, your life will impact everyone around you. I know that there are some here today that are feeling really lonely. I know that there are some here today that don't feel seen and don't feel known but there are people around you that do care about you, and a lot of them are sitting in this room. We want to know you. We want you to be known and be seen. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have ministries and Bible studies and women's gatherings, so that you can be known and seen and loved and pointed to Jesus and grow in your faith. But if you're sitting here today and you feel lonely, I want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he wants an intimate, interactive relationship with you. Don't leave here today without talking to somebody about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. He knows you, he loves you, he sees you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I want you to know that your life is going to impact those around you. Are you reproducing something that's worth living for? Will it be the glorious good news of Jesus or the cancer of your idols? But we all make a choice every day to live out the gospel or live for ourselves. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to live loud for Jesus or something else? Let's pray. Father, at this time, I want to give us some space to sit with you and let your spirit do the work that you need to do. God, without your spirit, our lives cannot be transformed. Without your word, we cannot be transformed. Without the good news of Jesus, we cannot be transformed from death to life. And so, Lord, I do pray that right now we would sit and you would bring to mind the things in our lives that we put over you, the things that are idols in our lives, the things that when people look at us would say are most important to us. And I pray that we would lay those things at your feet that we would hand them over to you and that we would fully surrender to you being the number one priority in our lives, to you being our God and our King and our Lord, that we wouldn't just keep you at an arm's distance, Lord, but we would fully embrace you as our Father. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you do what you can do to give us life and hope and allow our lives to live loud for your good news. It's in your name we pray.
All right, all right. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Man, Van, you guys did a great job. Let's hear it for these guys. Man, I love that we get to be led into the presence of the Lord, and then we get to open up the Word of God together. I do um, have to start on a little bit of a somber note. Um, I've got some pretty heavy news. Uh, football season is coming to an end. I, I know for some of you, you couldn't care less, but for some of you, this is a big deal. All right, I just need to know, uh, there, there are two different kinds of people, the, the college football fans and then the pro football fans. If you're a college football fan, let me hear you. Okay. And then what about the pro football fans? Let me hear you. Okay. I actually remember um, growing up in New York, we didn't really have any pro teams to, or college teams to root for, and so it was really all pro sports. But uh, coming down here, uh, I didn't understand college football and what came along with college football. But my wife took me to uh, her family's team's school, the Florida Gators. That's right. Whoa, hey, careful. Um, and so uh, it was November 11th, 2006, and she had gotten great seats, and we're sitting kind of on the 50-yard line, and we're watching this game unfold. It was the Florida Gators versus the South Carolina uh, Mermen, yeah. And, um, and we were losing. We were down by six. Three minutes left in the game, and Coach Urban Meyer put the ball in the hands of the unknown, true freshman, Tim Tebow. And, and they put the ball in his hands, they were on the 12-yard line, and he got it, and he started running, and he juked one defender, and juked another defender, broke some tackles, and he scored a touchdown. And I tell you, 100,000 people in unison, screaming at the top of their lungs. The stadium was shaking. People were crying. Strangers were hugging. People were getting married. Babies were being born. <laughs> like, like, literally, like, the, the, everybody was going nuts. For a game. And we do this, we paint our faces and our chests and we yell and we scream because someone takes an object and they cross a line. <laughs> or they hit it with a piece of wood. Or they dunk it in a basket. And we scream and we yell and we cry. And our days and our weeks and our months are ruined because our team didn't win. Yet, we gather together in this place to celebrate the greatest victory that has ever been accomplished. The greatest victory, the greatest battle that has ever been won. God didn't merely just break a tackle or cross a line or, or, or dunk a basket. He left eternity. He left perfection. He left being worshipped day and night 
to come down and to be wrapped in human flesh, born as a baby, so that we could place him on a cross and murder him in order to restore relationship between him and his creation that had been severed, that had been severed by us because of our sin. And so we gather here today not to celebrate a team that went on to win the national championship in 2006, but to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we gather to sit and to talk about the greatest victory of all time. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Father, you are king. And we come here today as fallen, broken individuals who need a Savior. And you've accomplished that for us. So God, I pray that we would see your word and that it would penetrate our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and that it would transform everything we do for your name and for your glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the question this morning is, how do we live loud? How do we live a life that is loud? I mean, 100,000 people coming together in unison to cheer on a football team should not even compare to the church of God, the bride of Christ, living loud to be a beacon of hope for the hopeless, to be light in the midst of darkness, because we have the words of life for those that are experiencing death. So how do we live loud? Well, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, and last week we talked about how we are loved by God, we are chosen by God, and then we are equipped with the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. God Himself equips us with His Word and His Spirit to live loud in our community, everywhere we live, work, and play, so that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to see, to hear, and to respond to his good news. So through the power that God gives us, through his word and through his spirit, we live loud by first living a life worth imitating. Living a life worth imitating. Where do we get that from? Well, let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's start in verse 6. Paul just said, you're equipped with the word of God and the spirit of God. And you talking about everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has been saved and transformed by the power of the Spirit. And you became imitators of us. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, the church, became imitators of us. Us is the Paul and Silas and Timothy who has discipled this church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, because that's who Paul looked to. For you received the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul lived a life worth imitating and those that followed him replicated his life. But why? Why would those that follow Paul 
replicate what he was doing and what he believed and what he was saying. Well, a life worth imitating starts with a life founded upon the word of God. Now, let me give you some context here, because he says, you receive the word with power, and then you imitated our lives. So, so just some context. What is the word of God at this point of time that Paul is talking about? Because they would have had the Old Testament written down in, in, in some sort of form, it would have been in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek for some, and they would have been reading the Old Testament. And the, the word of God that they would have known was Paul walking them through all of the prophecies that were seen and found within the Old Testament and pointing them to Jesus. So at that particular time, they didn't have all of this. They had about two-thirds of it, the Old Testament. And then he was writing letters to the churches, and so was Peter, and so was John, and Luke, and Matthew, They're writing these letters so that people would know that all of the stuff found in the Old Testament was written about a person, and his name is Jesus. So at this time, this point, Jesus would have died, and he would have rose again. And you're not creating some conspiracy theory here. You don't go and tell somebody in the moment of things are happening where they could have easily proven this wrong. They saw it with their eyes. They, they experienced this, and now all of a sudden, they are hearing the words that Jesus was the true Messiah. Some of them would have seen his miracles. Some of them would have seen him hanging on the cross. And now the word is coming, and Paul is talking about how the word of God has come and has brought transformation. So a life worth imitating starts is founded upon the word. And why was it imitated? Because the word of God saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that transformed them and gave them a joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? It came not only in the word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met somebody that you know walks with Jesus? Someone whose life just oozes joy and love and peace and patience? Someone who maybe is a mentor, uh, if you grew up in a church with Sunday school, maybe a Sunday school teacher, uh, maybe it's a grandma or a grandpa, but I've been around these people where, where you just get into their presence and you're like, were you literally just sitting with Jesus, hanging out, having coffee? Because their lives just, just overflow the joy of the Holy Spirit in all circumstances. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect either. I'm not saying that these are perfect people, because we are all people who struggle with sin and sin in our lives. And so we're all forgiven failures, but, but just to level the playing field here, like we all walk into this place with something. We all have something that we struggle with. We all have something that we deal with. We all uh, uh, speak harshly to people around us or deal with anger or jealousy or bitterness. And so, so we're not perfect people, but there are people that we see that just overflow the joy of the Spirit. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians about. He's saying your joy in Jesus is overflowing and it's attracting everybody around. And so why the, the, what is the what we're in, uh, uh, imitating? The what we're intimidating is the person of Jesus. Jesus impacted Paul. 
Paul had an experience with Jesus, and as he impacted Paul, that then impacted the Thessalonians. He went and he shared this good news of who Jesus was and what he has done. And then Paul impacted the Thessalonians, who impacted each other. That church grew, and then that impacted all of the cities around them. Because all of a sudden, they started living a life that was worth imitating. A life that is reading the word, knowing the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying what the Spirit says, says, and overflowing love, mercy, and grace to those around them. And notice in verse 7 this impact, that it impacts the world around them. And this type of life that is lived imitating Jesus attracts others, like a magnet does, just attracts people. And so we live loud, not only by living a life worth imitating, but we live loud by living a life that sounds forth the good news. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So they are living a life worth imitating, and it's sounding forth this good news. Now, just to be clear, we are not talking about living a life that sounds forth religion or morality or